Lord, thank you, Lord, for another day. Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy uh, and your favor that you have blessed us with, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this building that we can gather in as your body to fellowship and worship and, and praise you corporately. We pray as we go through the Old Testament, my Father, that we see you and we see the works that you're doing then and even now, and that you may receive all glory due to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week we went through Exodus 1 chapter through chapter 19. Uh, just a little recap on that Exodus. Uh, we started out with Israel um, multiplying in great number. We said that number is probably around 2.5 to 3 million. All right. That scared the Pharaoh that was in charge at this time. Uh, and so he wanted to do away with these people for they grew greater number and, and join up with their enemies and, you know, attack. But however, we see God had a, a better plan and a, a plan for Israel uh, other than that. Uh, we see that God used Moses to speak on his behalf. And he went to Pharaoh several times. Uh, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my firstborn go so that they may serve me, that they may serve me. And this Pharaoh, this egotistic Pharaoh, refused to let him go. Uh, there was one point where the Pharaoh was like, who is this Lord that I should let you go? And he even increased their burdens. Uh, and there was a point where even his taskmasters mocked God and said, thus says Pharaoh. Uh, after Moses was saying, thus says the Lord. And so God, for the rest of, the chap- for the rest of those chapters, he was going to let Pharaoh in on a little secret. He was going to let him know exactly who this Lord is. And he did so delivering plague after plague after plague. We'd also talk about the sovereignty of God and the, the omnipotence of God, that he would even control the gnats, those annoying little things that fly around. You would think that, what's it to God? Yes, he controls them even also. Amazing that he would control that. We talked about that, how sin, the sin of Pharaoh, the Pharaoh was so much involved in himself and his sin that all rationale went out the window. I mean, you would think after plague number one, two, three, and four that he would just let them go. And then after five and six and seven that he would just let them go. You would think after his firstborn son died, he would just let them go. But that's the trouble with sin. Sin will lead you to death. And it led ultimately to Pharaoh's death. But it God was glorified in the end, as he always is. And so we see that the Pharaoh and his army was destroyed, that the, Egyptian, that the Egyptians were destroyed. Um, after, the, after the Israel had walked through this parted Red Sea on dry land, mind you, that was more significant in God's omnipotence, was that they walked through on dry land, that the Egyptian army was destroyed. And so it brings us now to... Um, chapter 20. But before we go into chapter 20 and on, I'd like to read Exodus 19, 5 and 6. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. We got to remember that verse as we go into this next section of chapters of what this was all about. God wanted to make a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. 
So we have to keep that in mind as we go forward. So we start here in Exodus chapter 20 and 2, and God sets this up so brilliantly. Let's see what he says in Exodus 22. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this is the Father. This is God. Before he goes into any decrees, any commandments, he sets the tone. Who am I? I am. I am the self-existing one. I exist in and of myself. There's nothing outside of me that created me. I am that I am. And I am the Lord, proper name Yahweh. I'm the only God. And I brought you out of slavery. Right? I can almost hear my, my father, hey, I brought you into this world. <laughs> right? That is the tone that God is setting here. All right, this is the tone that God is setting. And so we see that during these chapters, we're going to see the holiness of God will be on display. And as we go through the precepts, we see that that, ver- that first verse that we just read, 22, leads us into God's laws and precepts. And so the first two commandments is, is, a, is a, huge, it's a huge lesson here. The first two commandments. Look, one, no other gods. There should be no other gods before me. And then verse 2 and, and, and 2, it says, no idols. So if we can actually read Exodus 24 and 6, it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now, you, you see when he went through these first two commandments, he expounded on these two, right? So God spent some time talking about idols here. And there's a particular reason why he spent some time. It says, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image of or any likeness or of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see the blessing and the curse there? The wrath of God versus the steadfast love of God. Now, here's a question for you. Why do you think God spent so much time when he came to the fact of talking about idols and getting that clarification? I'll give you a hint. God knows where they came from, and he knows where he's taking them. You see, this is a... This is a This is a command. This is a warning. Listen, I know you were slaves in Egypt, and you may have picked up some practices, but it won't. It will end here. It will end here. And I'm going to send you into the Hittites, the Kenites, and these lands, and they worship all these carved images, these false gods that are not me. You shall not delve into those things and those secret arts and those things and those dark arts you shall worship me the Lord your God do you see that clearly do you see that picture I know where you come from and I know where I'm taking you please be warned no idols and then again we see he goes on with the other commandments do not take the Lord's name in vain remember the Sabbath to keep it holy honor your your father and your mother do not murder 
And I do want to uh, expound on that, that do not murder uh, is different from what the world would say, how thou shalt not kill. Murder has in the, uh, in the intent of premeditation, okay, going after someone unlawfully. That does not mean um, that you cannot defend yourself, okay, as you will go on later. If you, when you were reading your lesson, you'll see how God uh, talks more about that. It says, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. And do not covet. So these commandments were just the, the overall commandments, these ten. Of course, in each of those ten, God expounds more and more as we go on. In commandment five, we see the commandment with the promise. In chapter 20, 12b, it says that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And that's when it came to honor your mother and father. And the, the information about long, the term long there, is not just many. It's talking about prosperous so that you will have favor with God, so that your days may be long in a land um, that your Lord God has given you. Okay? The Lord wanted the people to know the seriousness of the covenant rules. So let's look at Exodus 20, 18 through 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, when you see this, you have to understand the people are standing afar. God had just told Moses previously, do not let the people break through. Do not let the people break through lest they die. Do not let them come close to this Mount Sinai. And so they're looking from afar, from up, and they see the, the crashing of the thunder and the lightnings. Moses is getting to talking to. They, they're, they're, they're fearful. They have that, that fear of God. But then Moses says to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Now, at quick look, it may seem like there's a contradiction here. One of the rules of Bible study, if there's a contradiction, read again. Because it's not the scriptures that are wrong. We have to look deeper and see how we can reconcile this. So initially, what he is saying is, fear not. Which means that there is no immediate fear for you, that you should have. Which means God's wrath is not going to go forth at this moment. However... You should be fearful that if you do not obey what thus says the Lord, that indeed his wrath will come forth. Okay? So that makes sense. And once again, I like pictures. Um, I always remember the, pre, the pre-lesson, the pre-game uh, huddle of my mother and my father before we went to the grocery store. However, I remember that. And they would line us up and they say, listen, we're going to go in the store and we're going to get a couple things. I don't want you to touch anything. I don't want you running around, and I want you to stay close to me. And if you don't, when we get home, you're going to wish you hadn't, right? (laughs) And so that was the pregame. Now, their immediate wrath was not on us, but if we disobeyed, we knew what was to come, right? So this is the picture that God is trying to show his people, all right? And uh, And Moses wants them to understand very clearly. This is why we go on to see the deeper details of these laws, 
so that it's very clear. The specifics of the law we continue to see in chapters 21 through 23. Chapter 21, we see the laws about slavery and abuse and restitution. These were to, these were to keep them in line so that they were, uh, if they were to have slaves, they would remember not to treat the people like who? Like they were treated with the Egyptians. You see, if you were to own a slave or have a servant, there was a certain way that God wanted you to treat them. And it would be clear to them because they knew that this is not how they were treated when they were in Goshen, when they were in Egypt. And so it would be clear, it should be new and fresh in their minds that they're not to treat someone uh, this way. There are more details on the fifth commandment. Uh, We see that in 2117, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's serious. So God put some reverence regarding the mother and father that we had, the the mother and father that God has put uh, over us uh, to guide us in his word and his commandments. It was serious that we respected and we honored that our mother and father. It was, a seri- it was a serious commandment. Also, we see the protection of the most vulnerable. In chapter 21, 22 through 24, it talks about the consequences, consequences of hitting a woman and causing harm to her unborn child. How great have we fallen away from that in our great America society that God cared so much about the child, the children in the womb, that he said, if you strike a woman and the baby comes out alive but harmed, you shall pay restitution to the, to the father, to the husband, for whatever price he sets. And if the baby were to come out and the baby were to die, what did he say? He said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. As a matter of fact, I find it very strange in our, in our systems, in our society, that these laws actually still hold up, that there were several cases of where a man uh, hit or beat a woman and her baby passed, and he was sentenced with, he was sentenced with, with murder, a second degree. And there was cases where both mother and child died, and he had two sentences, first-degree murder and second-degree murder, to run consecutively. However... In New York, was the law just passed to have late-term abortion? How can you reconcile that? This is what sin does. It's irrational. It's irrational, and we see that in our society. So let's move on. So we talked about restitution specifics uh, going on in verse uh, 33 of that 21st chapter. In chapter 22, it continues with restitution when it comes to the loss or destruction of property. We still see these laws today. If you cause someone to lose wages, you owe them, uh, according to what the judge says. And and God set all these rules in order, including social justice, as we see. The social justice um, is verse 16 through 31 in chapter 22 is from what to do about lust and about lending money, about being a money lender, right? talks about lending money to the poor. And if you do lend money, don't lend it with interest to the poor, right? That's like uh, extorting. We don't want to, he didn't want his people to be a part of that. Um, When we give and we give to the poor, let it be a, a gift. Or if you do loan money, let it be for dollar for dollar so that they do not 
continually, continually to go in debt and debt and debt. I love the specifics here. In chapter 23, verse 9, it says, You shall not oppose a sojourner, oppress a sojourner. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Interesting how God reminds the people constantly from where you came from. Now, listen, how does that reflect among us? We know where we come from. We hear Paul later on in the scripture say, and so were what? Some of you. And so, God, this echo is throughout the scriptures. How dare we treat others and we disrespect others considering what we were? And this is the message that God wants to instill into his people that he's bringing out. Don't enslave these people. And if you do, do it in a way in which I tell you that is honorable and that brings my name glory. And do not oppress them. Do not oppress them. If they want to be your servants, God sets rules and standards of that. When you read through the chapters, you will see uh, God setting up these standards and these rules. Uh, But God wants to make it very clear that you are to be different because you're going to be set aside. Remember, what is holy is what God deems holy and what God consecrates and sets aside. And he wants to make a holy nation, and they are indeed set aside. Okay? So these laws and rules were given to the people of Israel. We don't see any Egyptians involved in here. We don't see any Canaanites involved or Hittites or anybody else. He's talking to his people and giving them how they should be separate and unique throughout the world. But this does not negate the responsibility of the rest of the world for they will be accountable for these laws and these, and these rules and these precepts. But that's the very thing that would send them to hell, this disobedience and the ultimate disobedience of not believing in the Lord God Almighty. Because please be clear that God has equipped man with a conscience. That's the basic of belief is a conscience. And if we break down that word conscience, con meaning with, science meaning knowledge, man is with knowledge. Do we have to teach our children how to lie? Do we have to teach our children how to steal, how to try to manipulate? No, it's the exact opposite. We have to train them up in the way of the Lord so that they can go away from their sins and turn from their sins and turn to Christ. However, you know when the, the child takes that cookie that they're not supposed to have, they know they've done wrong because they tried to conceal it. They tried to conceal their crime. And this is the conscience that we all have. We know indeed what's right and we know indeed what is wrong. Have you ever wondered why the world spends so much time trying to convince us that their sin is right? Right? Think about why is all the energy and effort spent on trying to convince me that a man is a woman or a woman is a man? Or that it's okay that we live together and not get married? Or it's okay if I cheat on my taxes because... You know, I work hard, and they got plenty of money anyway. Why do we have to have that, 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 instinct, that instinct to try to prove because we know that it is wrong? And that's just evidence of what God given us, the conscience. And if you ignore your conscience, it is sin um, when we go against God. So I just be, want you to be mindful of that when you're sharing the gospel and sharing the word, that do not let man take you down that rabbit hole. You stick with what thus says the Lord, and you know what he said is this true.
It is wrong. So after the prophet Moses received all of these laws and precepts, he did what a prophet does. He came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, and this is verse 3 of 24. Verse 3 of 24 says, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They just entered a covenant with God. They just entered into a covenant with God. And what did they say? All the words of the Lord. Everything that the Lord has spoken, everything that he has given you, Moses, we will do. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. This was verse 7. And they said, yes, once again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. So here's a question. Do you think the Lord would be surprised that they broke the covenant? Or that it would be a surprise that they could not keep the covenant. When we've seen this, when we talked about Abram, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, he knew that he ultimately would have to keep this covenant. But once again, it did not negate what? Their responsibility. And we have to be clear on that. You are still responsible. You are still responsible for upholding that. The laws and precepts of the Lord. So what do you do after making a covenant? You celebrate. And we see here in this covenant celebration that God's glory will be revealed but veiled. In chapter 24, verses 9 through 11, it says this. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And the reason why he said he didn't put his hand, because there's a moment where it was just Moses and Aaron. And he was like, hey, everybody else stay back. After the covenant was made, he allowed them to see a glimpse of his glory. And the image it gives us, it says this. It showed us his feet, and it was underneath a sapphire, like a clear sapphire. I mean, this imagery is amazing. And it says they beheld his glory. They ate and drank and beheld his glory. Could you imagine that, to see that? Now, God, once again, is spirit, and we should worship him in what? Spirit and truth. So how is it that they saw his feet? How is it that they saw God and live? For no one can see God in what? Live. It was veiled. They seen an imagery of what was God. God showed them a glimpse of his glory and his majesty, and they beheld it, and they ate and drank. And this wasn't the first time. Uh, later on, we'll see in, in chapter 33, verses 18 to 23, another description of God's veiled glory. It says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Uh, they saw his feet, or what was the image of his feet on the sapphire. It says, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, 
And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand that you, will, that you shall see my backside, but my face you shall, shall not be seen. It was like his afterglow of what Moses saw. He can, you cannot see God's face and live, not in our current state, not in our current state. There will be a time where we'll be in God's presence and his glory. But at this moment in time, it was to be veiled for our safety. However, God's plan was to dwell with his people. But they would not be able to survive seeing the full glory of God. But we just learned that no one can see his face and live. So then how was it that God planned on being and dwelling with his people, this people that he brought out of slavery, and for them to be in the presence and fellowship with God and live? Well, we see in chapter 25 through 30, God's instructions for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was to be a mobile place of worship and sacrificing for the atonement of sin. So we see in Exodus 12, 35, it says the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And so when we give, when we, God gives the instructions for the tabernacle, he tells Moses to collect, to ask the people for this gold and, and the silver and the jewels for the tabernacle, for the tabernacle. And so where did they get it? Where did they get all this gold? We just read it. From the plunder of the Egyptians. They plundered the Egyptians. Right? So I find it very interesting also that God said, give, give as your heart will allow. Isn't that amazing that God gives us these, these gifts? God gives us these monetary things. And then he says, Give as your heart will see fit. Give as your heart will see fit. So everything that God had given them, he is saying, hey, you know what? We need this to build the tabernacle so that I may dwell with you. And so bring and bring. And they brought and they brought and they brought until it was enough. So they had plenty um, for the building of the tabernacle. So. Another thing that we need to talk about was this building of the tabernacle. This building of the tabernacle needed some craftsmen. Needed some craftsmen. So we talked about how God allowed the raw materials uh, for his tabernacle to be uh, given from the people from what they gotten from the Egyptians. But what about the skill and knowledge? I remember even watching some of the old movies um, Something came to my mind, um, and I'll ask the same question. During these times when they were building the pyramids and they were making these bricks and, and they were doing all that, how come they did not have Caterpillar? How come they didn't have Bobcats? How come they didn't have iPads? How come they didn't have any of that? So I asked another question and just answer yes or no. Was everything that was in the earth at the time to make these things present, yes or no? Everything was in the earth. All the raw materials were there. Then what was missing? Turn to Exodus 28 and 3. 
Exodus 28 and 3. It says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. And again, in chapter 35, verse 31, you can mark that down. You don't have to turn there. Chapter 35, verse 31, it says, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. You see the picture? All the skills that we have and we possess to further along our society all comes from God. Those who hate him have skills that we use today that he has blessed them with. But how do we use our skills? For the worship and glory of God or the worship and glory of ourselves and to receive praise from others? You see, God is so sovereign He has even ordained the time in which we get technological advancement. And that is so huge to understand why we don't have what we think we should have now is because God says it's not time. And the reason why we're here and we have what we have now is because he said now is the time. I found that very, very fascinating that all of our skills come from the Lord. Amen, that we are blessed to have that. And so, while Moses was receiving the instructions for this tabernacle with the whole purpose that being that the Lord will dwell with his people, the people were busy doing what? Sinning against God. Sinning against God. While Moses was on the mountain receiving instruction from God, we see the people breaking the first two commandments. It says in Exodus 32 and 4, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with, graving, with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You see that? Once again, using what God has given you to bless and glorify God and help others or to sin against God. Do you see that picture? Where did they get the gold from to make this golden calf? Where did they get it from? The same place they got the gold that they gave for the tabernacle. The gift of God when he said, you shall plunder the Egyptians. So they're using what God has graciously given them. And remember, he said, stop, there's enough. And they use their leftover gold for this to say, this is the God who brought you out. He just explained that I'm not a God fashioned with hands and and carved, but yet they're worshiping this, this false God, this idol. And we see that God disowns his people. For a split second there, he goes in chapter 32 and 7. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people. This is chapter 32, verse 7 through 10. Whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, man. All while he was talking, uh, all while Moses was talking on behalf of God to the Pharaoh, it was, Let my people, my people, my people, my people, They worship this false God. He says, hey, Moses, your people are sinning, the one that you brought up out. And what did God says? He says, now, therefore, in verse 10, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. That's very clear that the people of Israel did nothing special to deserve God's favor. God looked upon them for his glory and his purposes only. And God was willing to make a nation out of whoever he wanted to. 
And he was at the point where, hey, Moses, you know what? We're making a new nation out of you. I'm going to destroy these people. But Moses, being a smart prophet, he appealed to God. And he didn't appeal on the, the good things that Israel did. How did he appeal to God to, to maybe if, if I appeal this way, God will relent from this? And Moses redirects. He says, but Moses is implored. This is Exodus 32 and 11. The Lord is God and said, oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? And then we see in verse 32 to 12, Moses is concerned for the Lord's glory. Why should the Egyptians say what evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountain and to consume them? For the face of the earth turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And then Moses, again, uses God's promises, 32 and 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And what was the result of Moses? All he did was Talk about God. This is your people. This is about your glory and your name. And this is about your promises. You see, when you want God to relent from wrath or you trying to implore God, you can't look at yourself. You have to focus on the word of God and his name. And he was so concerned about his name, as we found out in the first 19 chapters. He does this in chapter 32, verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that had, he had spoken, uh, bringing onto his people. And this is an amazing thing, that God showed mercy on the people. And remember when we talked about mercy? It's not getting what you do deserve, because please believe me, they deserve death. And that fear that Moses was talking about, that fear that was yet concealed, it was there. It was to show them they, they, uh, they provoked it, and they deserved it, but God relented from it. And only he could, you see, when... We commit an offense. The offender has no right. We are at the mercy of whom we offended. That's legal talk, as God does through all the scriptures when he talks about redemption and, and saving of his people. So we're at the mercy of God. And so we see his mercy here. And so in chapter 40, we see that indeed the uh, tabernacle was erected. It was erected. And the services and everything that went on in a tabernacle um, would be later on explained uh, later on in our series. But this was to be a mobile place of worship and sacrifice for the sins of the people. So I would like for us to look at a video um, that shows some imagery of the tabernacle and then after we look at it, uh, we'll come back and we'll close and pray. And as we look at it, I'll just go into some of the detail of what this uh, furniture uh, meant. But I won't go into the detail of the services of the furniture. Well, that will come later in our series. So as you see, this is an overview of a recreation of how the tabernacle would have looked in the outer gate. As we venture in, we see the altar of sacrifice. 
or the altar of burnt offering. Animal sacrifices were offered on this altar located in a court in front of the tabernacle. The blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled on the four horns of this altar. And those are the tools and instruments that the priest would use. As we see the laver, the laver or basin, uh, this would be used by the priests to cleanse themselves before they did the work of the Lord in the, t- in the temple, in the tabernacle. The holy place. As we see the menorah to your left, or we can call it the golden lampstands. The golden lampstand stood in the holy place opposite the table of the showbread. It held seven lamps, flat bowls, in which the wick lay with one end uh, of the wick with the oil and the bowl that was lighted daily. And we see the table of the showbread. How many pieces of bread? We see 12, and it represented the, what, 12 tribes. Both tribes. And what type of bread was it? Unleavened. And leaven would have represented sin. And we see the altar of the incense. And they would burn uh, fragrances on there. Um, and that smell, that sweet aroma that God talks about would go up to him. And ultimately it would represent the prayers of the people going up to God. And now we approach the holies of holies. As we see the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was the most sacred of all the furniture in the tabernacle. Here the Hebrews kept a copy of the Ten Commandments, the manna, which was the provision of God from heaven, and the budded staff of Aaron. Amen. Thank you. I hope that was a good visual on the holiness and the the, the, the work that God did and the God instructed the people and, and the going of all out of God to dwell with his people. So what do we take from this? We see that God delivered the people out of their sin, out of slavery. Ultimately, it's going to be out of their sin. And he gave them instruction on how to behave. If you were going to be my people, this is how my people should behave and act. So what we should take away from that is God has freed us from the bondage of our slave master, which was sin. And if you are indeed a professing Christian, you are indeed in love with the Father, then you shall keep his commandments. Not that the commandments will save you, but that you owe it to the one who freed you to behave in such a way to glorify God. Do people see our actions and how we behave in public and go, this God they say they serve, I would have nothing to do with him. Look at how that person is at behaving. Or do they inquire of us and go, wow, this person is honest and upright. What makes you be that way? Who is this God in which I hear you speak of? 
Let it be the latter. Let God see our good works so that we so that they may glorify God, our Father, who is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the lessons that we have learned through Exodus. And as we dig in deeper on our own personal studies, I pray that we continue to see who you want us to see. That's you and your holiness and your glory and your mercy and your grace. Lord, we are not deserving of it. Just like the people of Israel, Lord, you didn't save us because you saw something good in us. You saw it because it was your good pleasure too, and that it brings you glory and that you want a people uh, for yourself. So, Lord, let us show our thanks and our love to you and be obedient to all the laws and precepts that you have given us so that we may be in glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.